What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the 360 Recruiting Podcast, presented by Sooners 360. I'm your host, Matt, joined as usual by my co-host, Chris Mason, our lead recruiting analyst over at Sooners 360, and Caleb Cummings, a.k.a. Mr. 55, our film guru. Just a reminder to hit subscribe on your favorite platform of choice. We are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Go ahead and find us there. Hit that subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All right. Thank you for joining us for episode number 16. We're calling this one The Offer Lanch Continues. And let's talk 2025. Before we get to that, there was some late breaking news that just hit the wire before we hit record. Uh, guys, the the portal, just like one of those fungus-infected clickers from The Last of Us, just won't die. Uh, linebacker offer Nick Jackson from UVA has officially committed to the Hawkeyes. Uh, Chris, we've been reporting on the board that it was down to OU in Iowa. What sealed the deal for Kirk Ferentz? Well, sadly, I think probably it's a combination of a couple of things. I think it's probably one that Iowa defensively is actually just a more solid program right now. I think, two. I think Nick is more of a conventional offense kind of linebacker. I think he's probably a better fit overall for the for the Big Ten and the offenses in the Big Ten. Of course, he may he may find that changing with Luke Fickle and uh, Matt Roll coming to coming into town. Things may change up a little bit there, but just on the surface of it, so it's not quite the he's he won't quite be in coverage following five, nine hundred and seventy pound slot receivers left all, all day. So I think that probably is maybe a little more attractive to him. And I think maybe our linebacker crew and just the off the bus workout workout room setting maybe maybe looks a little intimidating to um to a to a newcomer coming in. Um Dasan, um McCullough uh, Stutzman and, and Canick. I, I think probably if Nick Jackson saw them working out and, and, and getting timed and tested, he was probably thinking, maybe, maybe I'm not starting here. So that that's my best guess on, 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 it's never usually one thing, but I think probably, you know, our, I was defense has, has been great, at least statistically. Um, I think part of that's helped by some of the bad offenses they play a little bit, but um, so I think that may have been a little bit of his factor that it's just an easier plug and play environment uh, for him to pl- for him for him since he only has one year and he's not going to be there for spring ball either. So I think that's that's maybe a factor. Well, Caleb, what what do you think we're missing out on uh, without Jackson? No, that's a good question. I I, I mentioned this. I think I said it on the board uh, when I put put some thoughts in there and. You know, uh, I, first, I really do agree with Chris. I think by and large, probably he probably looked at it and the reality of how the difference is in the, the way the Big Ten plays football, particularly the Big Ten West, which is loaded with horrible offenses. Uh, he's, he's, he's in a better position to be able to, you know, play a more traditional linebacker role there. Uh, you know, and I think what Oklahoma's missing with him not landing him is veteran competitive depth. Uh, you know, I, I think that's what he's been able to bring. And I think you look at, you know, the word is that that Canick is going to play 
a lot of Mike, that they're going to play Kanik and Mike. I think on the surface that everybody looks at that and we think how, uh, and then I think, you know, let's detach from that a little bit and look at how the mic plays and defenses of today and, and, and in Brent's defense. Uh, I think it will be a tall task for, for Canik, right? I think uh, just from IDing things, but so much of how, you know, the alignment, the, the mic actually is going to be playing in the space as much, I mean, more than the will, the way they shift that over. So, you know, I think with Nick Jackson, you were getting as a guy that would allow you would allow Oklahoma to bring Canik along at at a very specific pace. Never have Brent would never really have to put him in situations that, hey, this team's doing a lot of stuff trying to confuse us. Well, you know what? We can play Nick seventy percent of snaps, you know, and Jaron thirty percent, you know, whatever the comfortability level is there. I think that's to me. It was you know as much about him allowing Canick to come along at, at a certain pace as anything. I don't think Oklahoma was going to get, you know, you're not going to, they weren't not missing out on Roquan Smith. He's just not that type of a guy. You know, he's not a heat seeking four or five guy. Uh, he, you know, it's just a reality of it. But what is a really solid, you know, inside linebacker that was intelligent, ID things well, moved well enough, um, you know, moved well. I, I don't want to say well enough. I don't want that to sound like he, he was an athletic guy. But, uh, you know, I think it's probably just puts more pressure on, uh, you know, whether it's Kobe McKenzie, you know, Shane Whittier is still in the program. Uh, you see things on social media. You know, he had, he had surgery on the shoulder. You know, maybe Oklahoma, maybe he's, maybe he's ready to go. Right. So maybe it just puts more pressure on on some other guys to be those depth pieces, competitive depth pieces and be able to contribute. So do you guys think we we maybe need to look at another portal linebacker uh, after the spring or is this just kind of a maybe this is a good time to just kind of wait and see what happens? I think spring will tell us a lot of where we are in terms of needing another portal linebacker, because. If Kip Lewis has added some weight, that changes things um, as well. And again, um, I don't. Do we think Whittier's back for spring, or, or we we get the sense that was not right? Right, he's out for spring, right? Uh, I think that's. Did we get? Yeah, I, think, I think that's the case. So I I think that the young kids all have a you know they've got some room to run, and I think we'll have a better idea coming out of that's my. That's my fence straddling answer. I, tell me how the off. Tell me how the linebackers look coming out of spring, and I'll and I'll have it. And I'll have my answer. I'll have my answer then. Caleb, do you agree? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I, I do tend to agree. I think it's you're probably. And again, this just goes back to what I think Nick Jackson would have provided was you know was uh, security against the risk, right? The risk that, uh, you know, Kobe McKenzie hasn't gotten right quite where they want him, uh, you know, from, you know, just physically in, in the defense and, and the risk that uh, Kip Lewis hasn't put on that 20, 25 pounds. You know, I know they're, you know, he realistically, uh, you know, I don't want to, you don't want to call like you know, a wasted year, for Kip Lewis to have been in the program because he was an early enrollee last year and still beat 200, 205 pounds. But, but it is a little bit for him, 
uh, you know, you've, you, Jesus has got to be bigger. So it helps, it guards against that risk. So I, I mean, honestly, I probably lean more towards yes, like just go, they, they needed another one. You know, if Whittier's not available uh, in spring, and, you know, if there's, again, risk that maybe he, he transfers out, if he's sitting behind, uh, you know, Jaron Canick and, uh, and Danny Stutzman going into what is his fourth or fifth year on campus, maybe he looks to leave after spring. So I maybe, you know, thinking about it, maybe it just makes more sense to, if you could find one, you know, start trying to do the due diligence now and, and maybe ID one and get one as, as you exit spring just for, again, it's as much as anything, it's probably a depth piece. Well, and of course, the only issue with the with the linebacker not going through spring is, then you do. I mean, you have Lewis Carter and and Sam Osego arriving in June, and and they're raw. But I I don't know that it's a stretch to think that Lewis Carter couldn't help OU this fall. That yeah. linebacker. No, you know the other thing is like I don't know because uh, we're not there every day and to know exactly how how difficult it is and, and everybody's different because everybody learns differently. But I just go, I just flash back to CJ Colden who missed spring, uh, you know, and didn't show up until summer. And it took him what the first four or five games before he really was able to get things down and, and, and get on the field and play. And that was a guy that was a fifth year, sixth year player. Uh, so yeah, you're probably asking a lot of anyone to come in, even Jackson to have come to have come in to Norman in uh in june and be able to pick it up and, and run and and beat out anybody in front of them so great points uh for for more discussion on kind of spring depth chart uh how practices are going how players are looking uh we've got a lot of info on the board sooners360.com uh head over there get some more details uh it'll be we'll be following this linebacker race uh in in other positions as well um and now we'll head to high school recruiting. Uh, Chris, the I believe the dead period is is still on right now. What, what's the the calendar like for the next week or two? Yeah, it's dead. The coaches are actually probably some of the coaches individually are probably taking a taking a using this as like a spring break week, getting out of the office for a week because, um, as we'll discuss in a minute, they've made a massive amount of offers. I'm not sure there's anybody else left to really offer out there. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I think some of the coaches are out of the office this week because, you know, no, no kid, they can't meet with any kids. Even if a, even if somebody decided to show up at OU on their own dime on their own accord, the coaches can't meet them. So there's no real point. It's like the, the old COVID uh, dead, the, the old COVID dead period that lasted all year. So um, March 1st, everything starts again. And OU is targeting March 5th as their next big junior day visitor weekend. And uh, we have some good, some good news there. Um, uh, Steve um, Wiltfong from 247 is reporting that five-star defensive end Williams Waniri from Missouri is going to make it to Norman uh, for a junior day, which I think is well-timed because he seems to be maybe working towards a top five or a top six list fairly soon. So getting him back on campus, getting him to meet with the OU staff again and get the full sort of presentation um, that the other guys just got at the end of January is, is, is well-timed. And there are other names flying around that that could give that visit weekend some star appeal. But as we learned tracking the visitors from the previous weekend at the end of January, it's, it's best to 
to only really sort of affirm the kids that are that are, that are stating on social media that they're coming and then tracking that they show up. So because lots of kids are being um, wooed to go to visit weekends by multiple programs. So it just sort of it sort of depends. So I think the we'll wait for a couple more weeks and then and hopefully we'll have a little more information on the on the March 5th visitor list. Well, perhaps one of the visitors, uh, it's a well-known quarterback. We've talked about him a lot recently. Uh, it seems to be a holding pattern on Michael Hawkins right now. Uh, we'll see if he shows up in a couple weeks. Uh, but Chris, you know, what, what's your best guess on the, the delay that seems to be happening? So I, I think the delay has, has all been related to his, <clears throat> his high school transfer. I think he, he wanted to make sure that that transfer went through uh, without any problems. And he, that he was eligible to play his senior year. And the uh, Dallas Morning News is actually reporting tonight that there's been some sort of issue um, about his uh, previous athletic participation form. And there's going to be a hearing over uh, whether he will be eligible to play at Frisco Emerson. Uh, and I think we all hope that that Mike gets the, gets positive news on that. Those transfer situations, especially it seems like in Texas, are always uh, a sticky situation. Uh, recently we had, you know, bear Alexander, a guy who just made some plays actually for Georgia in the national championship game. There were some issues, uh, with his high school, you know, eligibility. Um, you know, there's a lot of players, it seems like over the years that have just had questions like this. So basically we can just kind of sit and wait and see what they decide, uh, and take it from there. But, you know, I think Mike Hawkins is, He's he's got potential for sure. He really could use another season under his belt uh, before the college game to kind of start refining his game a little bit. He he attends a lot of camps and looks really good in camp settings, but I think more of the game speed will be good for him. Um, so uh, you know, knock on wood that everything gets cleared and and Michael can can play this coming season at Frisco. Um, you know. Even with these questions, there's not really been much other quarterback traffic at all on the trail. No, OU has made no new QB offers. The most recent quarterback offer was uh, Walker White from Arkansas, and he surprisingly has verbaled to uh, Auburn over Clemson, kind of a blow for Clemson QB recruiting there, and really not hearing anything about QB traffic, um, the only other name really that sort of seemed to be in play was Michael Van Buren from the Maryland, D.C. area. And I've not heard anything recently about him in Oklahoma. No no buzz that he might be visiting March 5th or anything along those lines. So, uh, so Caleb, it looks like this just it, OU is currently in Michael Hawkins or bust mode. What do you think about that? It's an interesting one uh, because I, I would agree with you, right? You look at his uh, his tape and then just his, his numbers, and it, there was a small dip for, as a junior. And I think everyone saw such flashes as a sophomore, you know, uh, particularly as, as such a good athlete, really excited and hoped to see, hey, a junior that just dominated. Uh, and then, you know, I think for being honest, that, that just didn't happen. You didn't see that jump. And if anything, it took a bit of a step back. So it's interesting, you know, they've made the one offer to uh, to the kid that's been committed to Florida State for quite some time. 
you know, and, and Chroman, you hear the, Chroman Hawk, Chroman Hook from Savannah. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave you with that name. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I, I'm shocked. We've not seen other offers. I, I was a little bit surprised it took as long as they did to, to offer uh, Walker White, just given that he's, he's a little rock kid, really is not that far from Norman. Uh, just a short, you know, John over there on, on I-40. So I, I was surprised it took them as long to offer him. He's a big athletic kid uh, that can run. And, you know, that's a really big part of the offense with Jeff Levy is they want, you know, not just a mobile quarterback, but they want quarterback run game. Yeah. I, I'd be, I'd be really surprised uh, if we don't see, you know, if we don't see another offer, even if it's a later, I, you know, it, it's, if they don't, my first thought would go to, they may have ID'd somebody from an in-state perspective that they've really liked that uh, could be a potential like preferred walk-on uh, or even a late offer if need be, if, if things pick up. I don't know who that would be. Haven't seen any names in-state as it relates to 2024 quarterbacks, but you know, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to be quite honest with you for them to be in the position they're in because you know you've got Dylan Gabriel gone after this year. You will have uh, obviously I think everyone knows and believes wholeheartedly that Jackson Arnold is the future, uh, you know, but Bevel will be gone, Davis Bevel, and they're going to have, you know, Booty left remaining. And I, I think history says that if Booty does not beat out Jackson Arnold, uh, and you hear rumblings that Jackson Arnold is already running number two, uh, you know, in spring that, that, you know, I think you expect Booty to transfer. And he's a kid that attended four high schools in four years and then a junior college. So he's, he's no stranger to moving around and moving on pretty quick. Uh, so uh, this looks like a class where, you know, they, if you don't take two, then there's maybe potentially they just, you know, think they can get someone from the transfer portal. Yeah. I think uh, Matt, if, if the eligibility thing goes through, well, I, I still like our prediction, of, of Michael Hawkins to OU, I still think that's a fit. That's a developmental fit. But, you know, I think we're, we're I think we may be just in a little bit of a holding pattern right now. And March 1st, uh, OU is also able to do some, some evaluations in person. So maybe Jeff Levy hits the road a little bit before spring starts and, and looks at some other quarterbacks throwing the ball and kind of, you know, evaluate some, some other kids in person, which he hasn't, probably hasn't had the chance to do, uh, so far in this recruiting process. Hey, Chris, here's one for you. I'm curious your thoughts. Uh, obviously, coming to camps for kids moving from their sophomore to their junior year and working out to try to get that offer, that's what you more times than not see from quarterbacks, and that's a big part. Do you think that as the spring eval period opens up that, that Jeff Levy might be not only you know evaluating kids as potential offers, but you think he also really works hard to try to get three, four kids that are going into their senior year on campus for a workout. Yeah, I think I think if this if this if this Hawkins thing for somehow becomes it 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 it, it gets unstable, um, and Mike's maybe looking for a different high school situation, and it's 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 kind of uncertain. I think oh, you may go down that path, right? You know, Levy might, you know, go look at a couple of guys in Texas throwing the ball and then, you know, say, OK, first one who shows up in Norman in June and and impresses me is, is getting an offer. I mean, that that could be where we are headed, which would be a little bit of the circumstance for those remembering when 
Uh, this is back in the day when OU lost Cam Rising. Uh, he decommitted in the spring, and, and OU was like, okay, what do we do now for quarterback? And OU grabbed um, – Mordecai. Kind of Mordecai. Um, the later that, uh, later that, later that year. So we could be in a situation like that. It's it's hard to tell, but it is. I think it is revealing that there's no new offers made at, at quarterback, and the, the general viewpoint nationally is that this this isn't the same quarterback class as last year. Um, you've got Riola as the as the clear number one guy with no real competitors. And he's really the only five-star quarterback and, you know, super five-star quarterback in the call in the class compared to last year where it ended up where we had, you know, basically five or six guys. Yeah. And the last year was special. I mean, I think it was the first time in the history of recruiting services that there was a consensus six-star quarterback. Uh, I know there was debate on whether or not they would give Arch Manning a seventh star uh, <laughs> just because, you know, why not? I mean, why the hell not? I thought it made sense to do it. Uh, you know, played against horrible competition, uh, didn't look great doing it, didn't go to camps and didn't go to seven on seven. But we know, you know, money talks and bullshit walks and your last name is Danny. <laughs> you know, you get what you want. Well, we saw we saw future five star number one player in the nation for 2029 at the Pro Bowl. Um, uh, I think Marshall was helping his dad coach, uh, was helping his coach, helping coach the uh um, the the flag football game in Vegas. So um, somebody put up a funny graphic about that. That he was he's already the number one player, number one recruit, number one quarterback for twenty twenty nine. So so, but Matt, I think it's time to move ahead and talk a little bit about the future. Yeah, but I mean, we're not going to talk twenty twenty nine yet. Uh, maybe next year, uh, but we'll go ahead and talk twenty twenty five recruiting. Uh, there's been, you know, we're calling this episode the uh, the offer launch uh, that extends well into 2025. Uh, you know, the first issue that we need to address here on 2025 has been five new in-state offers, uh, bringing the the total to seven. Uh, Chris, do you want to do a, a quick recap of the this the sooner state offers that are already getting the call for Brent Venables. Yeah, well, it started out with Nate Roberts, the tight end from um, Washington, and his brother, unfortunately, is at Baylor now. And I think Nate, went at the end of January, went to go visit his brother at Baylor, his brother, Jake Roberts, who was a transfer in from North Texas that OU was talking to. So Nate Roberts was the first big name. And then OU offered uh, Alex Shieldknight, who's a defensive end outside linebacker from Wagoner, and both Roberts and Shield Knight have got a bunch of offers. They look like top 250 kids. Shield Knight, he's like 6'4, 220 now. And he looks like he could be 6'5, you know, 250 easily by the time he's a senior. He's a really good rush end. And then this this sort of what I've what I've dubbed the offer lanch. Uh, you know, just not used to OU offering this many um rising, you know, rising junior kids. It just it just doesn't happen. Um especially in-state. But then OU offered C.J. Nixon from Weatherford. He's uh, 6'5", 220, plays defensive end, tight end, very talented multi-sport athlete. Uh, our, our competitors over at Sooner Scoop, Josh was comparing him to Jermaine Grisham. I don't think that's a stretch right now. 
So, um, so we're talking about like impossible rivals, top 100 type talent there. And then Elijah Thomas from uh, Chicota, who's a cornerback, six foot, 170 pounds. He's getting offers left and right since January. He looks like another four-star, top 150, top 200 potential type kid. And then Jaden Nickens from OKC Millwood, a name I had heard, and that's been around for, been buzzing around. He's already ranked in the top 30 by 247. He's uh, 6'3", 190. He's a wide receiver. He's also a basketball star. Basketball is probably a big factor there. And then two names, guys, I'll honestly be, I'll honestly say I've not heard, I had not heard before they got their offers. I was scrambling to figure out who they were. Is uh, Trene Washington from Carl Albert. He's about 6'3", 195. He's an athlete, could be a safety, could be a linebacker. And then Tristan Hayes from Carl Albert. He's uh, 6'2", 175 uh, pounds. He's a cornerback. So OU legitimately could could land two big cornerbacks, two long, tall, you know, big athlete cornerbacks uh, in state. But it's 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 kind of historic what's what's gone on this week. I mean, it's OU hasn't signed seven guys in state in about five or six years, and and it's when we're eighteen. 18, 19 months away from their signing day. Sorry, more than that. Uh, nearly 20 months away from these guys signing and OU already has seven offers. So, um, Caleb, what did you think about some of these players in, in particular? What did you think of the, the two Carl Albert offers? So I'm glad you you had me watch those, uh, those two kids because I hadn't, like you, uh, I don't know how long has it been since Oklahoma has really – gone, you know, at Carl, Carl Albert. What I know in the nineties, they were an absolute power. Uh, I mean, God, it's Mike JD. Gaddis, the home of Mike, it's the home of Mike Gaddis, right? That's what I always remember it as. Yeah. I mean, is JD Runnels the last Carl Albert Titan, but that is, uh, yeah, you're probably, you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's been, that's, that's been a while, right? I mean, JD's been out of school for almost. Did the, is the DeQuazy, the DeQuazy kid, the walk-on from Carl Albert? I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and look at that. Yeah, I think that yeah. that family is is a Midwest City family. I'm just not sure if they were from Carl Albert or not. But but sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt no, no. there. No, you're good. You're good. I mean, so I'll talk about Haynes first. Uh, man, that's a really good offer. Like that, I think they just I did a great job of IDing him. I mean, he looks all of six two. He's really one of the first notes I wrote down is like long, athletic, really smooth kid on the hoof you know he's and he's explosively smooth and you see that he's a lot of highlights of him returning punts and returning kicks and he looks he doesn't look bored or anything uh he's you know he's working in that but in those particularly in high school i think sometimes you get a sense you know just better athletes than everybody else around them and they kind of know that you know and you See that a little bit, I think, with him, right? When he's back to return of punts, uh, he's just like, okay, you know, I'm going to jog here, then I'll turn it on and just outrun everybody. I'm just going to screw with you a little bit and thinking, you know, how do you throttle down? And then the moment you throttle down, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go. Uh, he, so just really good athlete. Uh, you know, and one of the things that surprised me as much as anything watching him, and I don't know, Chris, you tell me if he's a basketball player. Uh, 
because he is a really lean kid. You can tell he's got a lot of room for physical development, which, I mean, my guy is 25 kids, so, of course, probably 14 or 15 in the film. Uh, but there's a surprising level of, like, football IQ. You see him, you know, at corner, whether it's in zone or even in man, he IDs some, some route combinations coming his way, jumps the other route, uh, gets the pick, and just – I mean, that's just a really good offer. Uh, I mean, that's at 6'2", 165 pounds as a sophomore. There's, you know, no telling. Maybe he's going to be 6'2", 6'2 and a half, uh, 185 pounds as a, as a senior. And those are the type of guys that you see as top 100 corners, right? He's, it's uh, what everyone gushed around, like uh, Cormani McClain, you know, that, that, you know, just signed with Colorado. And not saying he's going to be Cormani McClain, but just that, you know, that type of athlete. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, Matt. One of the things is that usually, you know, we're we're so waiting on in-state offers, and Oklahoma hasn't necessarily always had this sort of deeper talent pool. But you know, based upon Caleb looking at the video, I looked at the video. Um, I mean, all seven of these guys could be like top one, top two hundred type kids, with with maybe three or four of them being top one hundred kids, and we haven't seen that level of like. Oklahoma in-state talent since the uh, since the Sam Bradford McCoy uh, Gresham years. Well, and we've talked about it recently on some of the, the episodes about you know OU normally doesn't really have that natural recruiting base at home. Uh, you know that's why we've discussed you know the staff really trying to make DFW its home. Uh, it's close. There's a lot of talent there, but, you know, every so often, you know, OU is going to look into an in-state class like this with, uh, you know, talent that is worthy of an OU offer. And apparently we're looking at one of the best, you know, Oklahoma classes in, you know, in my memory, uh, if it's seven deep, like you said, 20 months out, uh, there's likely going to be a couple more. Uh, that's, that's a big list of offers for in-state kids. And, um, you know, the impact of that on a class where, um, hope we're hoping Brent Venables, you know, this, this coming season in 2023 really starts turning some things around. And then into 2024, you're in, you know, possibly in the sec, it sounds like. Um, so if you can get that bump in 2025 to keep that momentum going, and have this base at home of this level of talent, um, you know, 2025 would start to look like a class that, um, again, you know, we're already talking about 2024 maybe being a potential top five class. You know, maybe this this group of guys from, from home, assuming, you know, OU lands a decent amount of them, um, you know, 2025 is looking as – you know, you've got Nickens as a potential five-star, uh, and you guys have mentioned, uh, you know, reviewing this tape, these other guys are, are likely high four-stars as well. So I don't think that can be lost on on anybody, uh, the fact that these guys are just right down the road and kind of falling into our laps. Yeah, no, Washington's an interesting kid to to watch. I, you know, I wouldn't say he reminds me of uh, – God, what is the kid? Was it from Beg to sign with uh, Oklahoma State? Play safety for him now. 
or safety slash outside. Yeah, if, I can't pull the name. The guy, the guy went to A and M and then then yep. bolted to, to and got out of his. Yeah, uh, got out yeah, of his. Look his name up real quick. Yeah, but same thing, right? Six three, at least, right? One hundred ninety five pounds, uh, and you see him play receiver and corner. Kendall, Kendall Daniels. Kendall Daniels. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what it's, uh, it's interesting. It, I would say, well, there's multiple positions, but one of the things and, and Chris, you tell me if you felt this way, it's felt like in some years past, even some of the Oklahoma kids that have been even, you know, maybe four stars or just been kids coming out that whether they've got an Oklahoma offer or not, they've, they're oftentimes maybe the best word to use is not prototypical, right? If you're looking at defensive end, they're not six foot five. You know, Isaiah Thomas's have been rare, right? They're, uh, you know, they're Brock Martin that goes to Oklahoma state. He's six, two and a half, two forty, and is a great player for him, right? They're trace Ford, right? Who's a really good player, but it's been, it's, it's interesting seeing some of these guys like Nixon and he is six, five, two fifteen, two ten. uh, Elite athlete as a sophomore, you know, Washington, 6'3", 195 pound kid playing corner as a sophomore. It's, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to be a special class or if, you know, I mean, let's, I give credit. I think Brent talked about when he came in that he noticed, you know, looked around and realized, hey, Oklahoma State's been the second best program in the Big 12 for a decade. And they're loaded with Oklahoma kids. Like, what's going on? Yeah, maybe he's just doing a better job of IDing some of these kids. Although, you know, you, you think some of these kids are probably going to be, you know, ID'd by everybody. And and Matt, one issue is this, there's a couple of quarterbacks that are also in this mix for 2025 too in-state as well. Um, the Adamson kid from the Oklahoma City area has really good film. And I believe there's a there's a kid either with um, – uh, Shaker who, Rising. Yeah, who, who flipped. Union. Yeah, who flipped um, from Jenks to Union, right? Just like a That's rare, right. which is like, which sounds like a blood feud kind of transfer back in the day. Um, I think but it so, was. It, if, it, if you know, it still maybe. I'm not sure. I haven't lived in Tulsa in a while. Um, but yeah, so so Matt, this class could, I mean, by next by next um, by next March, it, it could be ten or eleven kids. I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility. To well, have we'll OU have, offers in state, which would be crazy. That would be crazy, and we'll we'll definitely be tracking that one. Um, another area of the country that has been good to OU in the past. Uh, we've kind of been lost on it uh, in the past few years, but uh, Las Vegas. Let's talk about Vegas. Um, OU made five more offers in the area for 2025. Um, you know, obviously, there's the DeMarco, DeMarco Murray effect. Uh, but Chris, what do you think about Venables? You know, we've just talked about him uh, looking at Oklahoma as a home base. What do you think about him going back to the Vegas area and trying to establish a presence there again? Well, OU, you know, had a big presence in sort of Arizona and California for a while. And then it looked like when Brent arrived that the West Coast was not going to be a factor and then OU kind of pulled the two players from Washington State, um, uh, Ozetta and Wagner, to kind of give the class a little West Coast feel. But 
Not certainly a West Coast feel that we were used to um, with those guys being like, I think, the first Washington State signees at OU in like 30 years. So it, it kind of looked like I was wondering if OU was going to, you know, was going to refocus in Georgia and Florida. You know, the Florida contingent in the 23 class is a huge part of that recruiting class. Then you have some players from Tennessee. Um, and so I kind of thought maybe the West Coast was not going to be a focus for OU. Uh, it's not a huge focus in 24, it looks like. Um, but out of out of during this uh, offer launch, OU makes five offers to text to um, Las Vegas area area kids. And uh, I have a source, a deep cover source uh, in Vegas who uh, kind of let me know that OU was going to get Javante Barnes. And during all of his his circulations, his recruiting, when everyone was worried about it, I kept telling people, no, 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 we're going to get Barnes. My source says we're getting Barnes. And my source says that that DeMarco is, when DeMarco comes into town, it's like the red carpet. And it's not just the red carpet of Bishop Gorman. He's known throughout that town. He has lots of contacts, lots of high schools, high school contacts. And he's he's able to come in town and give OU a, a like an instant landing ground in Vegas um, with a lot of kids. Um, obviously other OU coaches have some connections as well, but that, you know, DeMarco sort of, you know, gives OU an instant beachhead if they want to make Vegas a focus. And they have with five very interesting prospects, um, may have, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to do our best here with some name pronunciations. <laughs> so, um, the first one is, uh, Mei Tai Tung Uai. And he is a six foot four, 190 pound DB linebacker from uh, Las Vegas Faith Lutheran. And we're going to talk a little bit about more about him in a minute because uh, our friend Barry uh, has, has, has seemed, seems to have fallen in love with him. And then the next starting a trend here is uh, Susu Alo Fayatululi. He's a 6'3", 250-pound offensive lineman from Bishop Gorman, and these weights and measures could be off because these guys could have grown from the last time they actually got measured. But he's from Bishop Gorman, which is DeMarco's alma mater. Then we have Douglas Utu, uh, who's a 6'5", 270-pound offensive tackle from Bishop Gorman, and he's already carrying a top-five composite grade rating right now. So he's he's big time. Everybody has already ID'd him as a – a serious player. And then Landon McComer is a 6'2", 200-pound safety linebacker from Desert Pines, which is Javante Barnes School. And uh, he, on film, he looks he looks tremendous. He looks like another top 200, top 150 kind of guy. And then the last the last name in my in my pronunciation challenge here is Alai Kala Uluvalu. And he's, again, another offensive lineman from Bishop Gorman, so the third Bishop Gorman offensive lineman uh, offered by OU for 225. So, uh, Caleb, well, what do you think about uh, what do you think about this Vegas incursion? Oh, it's an interesting one. Uh, I will say the offensive line offers jump out. Uh, so, Ali, and skip the last name. Really impressive. So plays left tackle uh, for for Gorman, which to me kind of says a lot. 
just because to your point, I didn't realize that uh, Utu was a, a composite, effectively top five guy already being ID'd for uh, 2025. His film's a little bit limited. He plays mostly right tackle. And my assumption on, on his film being limited is because uh, there was a, a three-star uh, offensive tackle, uh, Zach uh, Yamuchi, that played right tackle for for Bishop Gorman. Uh, he's He signed with Stanford. Really good player. I, I, he kind of reminded me of Drew Samia. I, you know, as a guy, kind of watched and thought, well, Oklahoma maybe come after him, being that he was a, you know, uh, I guess it'd be a Jake Taylor teammate. They they didn't. Uh, so I think you know maybe that says a lot that as a sophomore who too had already worked his way in and was splitting reps with the kid that was a senior and on his way to Stanford, you know, and held multiple Power Five offers. And, but Ali, I mean, my God, I think. He got the ability. It'll be interesting to watch because you you never know, uh, you know how kids will go. But I mean, six three, two seventy five, really well built. But the kid is super athletic and extremely violent. Uh, and he's he's heavy handed, explosive, uh, and through the hips. Like he hit when he he's a nasty finisher. You know, see so you see some guys when they latch on the ball and, and kind of drive when he. When he makes contact, you know, it's interesting that the backer defensive lineman is is going to the ground. Uh, he is yeah, – I think he's got top 50, you know, depending on how much you value guards, right, could he be a potential five-star? He's he's really, to me, when you watch this film, it's like basically everything you want to see, you know, uh, particularly for a guy that's that young and playing against the competition that Gorman plays week in and week out because they go play everybody, uh, you know, and they're not worried, not scared of that. So, you know, he's playing against guys that are probably uh, either going to be uh, next year or in the, you know, coming years, power five group of five, but division one football players. So it's, it's, it's just impressive. You know, uh, Susu is interesting because he's, he's much smaller than the other two. He, he's, he plays uh, right guard. Listed at six three, six two, uh, and he he's more of a technician. Plays with a really, really good pad level, even for being a, a guy on the shorter side. Uh, he, you know, he's low man, always, always working as a technician. I probably, I watch him. You probably think more of a, uh, you know, probably more of a center, uh, you know. But I mean, with those three offers, it looks like they've ID a guy that could come in and be a monster guard. Uh, and Ali, and then two, you've got a guy that come in tackle. He's six five, six six, two seventy, well built kid. You can see he's, you know, like I kind of things I always look for: just good body control. Uh, you know, always under control. You're just a really good player. I, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know how many games Bishop Gorman lost. It, I would, you know, don't know what the skill talent looked like, but. They've got a lot of – they're coming becoming a bit of an offensive line factory, it looks like. Well, we, we know uh, you wanted to talk about offensive line, um, so we knocked those guys out. But we definitely need to circle back to to Barry's guy. Uh, and uh, I'm going to give my shot at pronouncing his name, Matai Tungao'oe. And, you know, this is a guy who immediately flashed when Barry sent it over to us, I think I – think, Every every guy said, "Holy shit!" It's, you know, pardon my French, but this is a guy in 2025 <laughs> who has, you know, he's a monster at defensive back, making plays all over the field. 
Uh, Caleb, what, what are your thoughts on Tunga Oe? Yeah, so uh, Matai, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> so uh, maybe it tells you how, you know, dates me a little bit, lets you get an idea of like uh, my age. The very first clip that like, everyone should go watch his sophomore highlight on Huddle. Uh, his the very first clip on there, I immediately flashback, like, you know, to Adam Sandler. Ooh, that's assault, brother. Like, I mean, that stuff, I mean, he <laughs> murders a kid. Uh, and yeah, close to assault. I mean, he is, I think the thing that jumped out with him beyond everything is he's just a sophomore and he's so much more physical than everybody else out there. He's bullying folks. Now that's usually pretty rare for a sophomore, right? A lot of times the guys that flash, you know, uh, like Haynes and Carl Albert, it's really athletic, uh, really smooth. And he's got the size to watch him, you know, just, uh, yeah, it's just it's an, it's pretty impressive. I mean, we'll see again. He's it's a 2025. So where does his body go? He's 6'4, uh, 190, you know, and just how does he how does he develop? But I mean, it's hard not to watch him and not think of what is, 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 is it like, targeting? Is it is it uh, okay? I just watched the highlight. Is it targeting? <laughs> Maybe. It looks like there's no way the flag in today's college game. I mean, it looks it looks good if you slow it down, but but you're right. He he obliterates the kid. It's just it's terrible. It's probably one of the ones where you're like, I know you put your shoulder into his chest, but you hit him so hard in today's game. I've got to throw a flag because you know. Uh, it's today's game, but no, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost Ron L. Lewis esque a little yeah, bit. That's actually a really good call out. Yeah, that's what it is, right? I mean, he when he hits that kid, that kid's back of his shoulder pads touch where his feet were, uh, and it, it it's, it's violent. And then that's you watch him, but you know, I mean, you see him do everything. You see him play deep safety. You see him covering like as a corner. You see him, uh, you know hurting some folks coming down playing in space uh, you know he and i know i mean isaiah simmons was an elite track athlete in high school as well right he was he had some really impressive long jumps uh to his under his belt and and ran a really good 200 meter so i think you know folks you know and you guys know this right i was ringing the bell on one of the sites being like hey, help me understand i'm confused of what I see and what nobody else sees. Uh, I think everybody sees this with Mattia, but you kind of wonder like, Hey, what well, does he grow into that? Does he grow into a six, four, 230 pound Jack of all trades kid that can play safety kids that can play outside linebacker, play overhang, play him at inside linebacker, rush him off the edge, just kind of do everything. Uh, he's, he's yeah. Barry, Barry's man crush. That kid it's well-deserved. He is, you know, he could, he could, he could reclassify and probably still be a top 50 player in the 2024 class. And the funny thing is Barry was mentioning, mentioned the name. And the first thing Barry said is like, that guy's got legit four or five type speed. I can just tell why I'm looking at his highlight reel. And I can, cause Barry, sometimes we'll bring him in our little private chat. We'll bring, I'll bring up a name and say, Hey, this guy looks really good. And Barry's like, eh, his speed's not great. And I'm like, really? Okay. No, um, that's, that's been really interesting. Like, I gotta give. But, Barry, but Barry was like, yeah. Barry was like, no, this kid's fast. I'm like, okay, all right, let me make note of that. Make yeah. note of this guy's name. You know, so uh, we wanted to bring him up on the on the podcast because um, OU's made so many offers. It's it's like easy for kids to get missed. I mean, 
there's lots of talent. Oh, you offered a, a kid for 24 um, who plays linebacker in the Atlanta area. So I made sure to watch his film and it looks great. And I'm like, how did I, how did I miss this guy? Did we offer him? Like, because it was just, uh, you know, he's made so many great offers um, 24 and 25 during his offer launch that it's been, it's been crazy trying to keep track of the guys and, and, you know, and this, I didn't, we didn't know anything about um, these Vegas guys before we weren't anticipating these offers or anything like that. So it's interesting that OU's made a targeted blitz in Vegas and, and, you know, it looks like to me, there's about three or four top 100 kids that I offered. Well, hopefully OU can kind of uh, get back into the West coast area uh, especially a place like Vegas. We do have a Bishop Gorman grad on the roster, but uh, it'd be good to you know add to that. Uh, we've got Javante Barnes as well. Um, so you know hopefully you know Javante maybe has a good year next year. Um, shows out a little bit. OU's name is is getting back into the the hallways in Vegas and you know OU can make a couple steals here. Uh, to build on their Oklahoma in-state class, um, let's let's circle back to that. Just because uh, you know it's hard to ignore, Chris. Do you think that BV's looking at this in a in a different light than than coaches in the past, using his uh, his uh, policy about not committing unless you're ready? You can't take any visits. Do you, do you think that's helping in this situation? Well, so I sort of I asked myself, you know, when this blitz happened, you know, is OU really ready to have seven 2025 verbals right now? And I was kind of thinking, well, no, no, not maybe not, maybe not really. And just some quick background in state OU's kind of been kind of been forced into a particular, they've kind of been boxed in by some, some, some beliefs in the way OU in-state recruiting works. And the first one is if OU was, uh, was going to make an in-state offer, it had to be a kid that there was a, that was a take, an absolute take. OU had to be prepared to take that commitment immediately. So sometimes it's felt like OU has slow played in-state kids. That's the accusation that got thrown around quite a bit, um, especially during the Lincoln Riley area, but also back to Bob, the very earliest Bob years and, and throughout that, you know, there's always sort of been um, kids that OU was tracking and the wonder was why hasn't OU offered this, this kid? So I'm kind of wondering if the no visit, if no, the no visit, if you verbal policy kind of gives Brent a way of doing uh, un, uncommittable offers in a way. Um, for those not familiar in recruiting parlance, Alabama sort of, Offers everybody, but the offers aren't all committable. And it, that seems very strange to me. And it seemed kind of hypocritical to me that Bama and a couple other schools were able to kind of get away with this policy of sending out offers to everybody. LSU does it as well. Georgia sort of does it as well. Now it's kind of practice in the SEC to do it, even Ohio State's been doing it. Uh, but OU, from an in-state perspective, you know, couldn't make an offer to a kid and say, yeah, we're, we're offering you. And then we want to kind of see you take next year. They, they couldn't do that. They would literally get murdered in the in-state media if they tried to do that. 
And they would get murdered in the in-state media if they offered a kid and then tried to back out of that offer. Um, the Tulsa world and the Oklahoma would have, you know, front page features on this, even though they don't really follow recruiting um, to a great extent, but they would, they would find a way to make that a big news story. So what I think is interesting is Brent's now got a way to offer kids early and, you know, and those kids and tell those kids to enjoy their recruiting process, which is also giving OU time to basically be able to offer kids, but still evaluate them. Right. I know that seems disingenuous, but you're always kind of evaluating these kids. You're always looking at that film, but especially for 2025 kids, OU's able to offer these kids, tell them to keep going through the recruiting process, go take unofficial visits around the country. And OU's probably going to be able to get their junior film uh, in and also be able to evaluate them in person, evaluate them in the camps coming up. And and to um, to Caleb's point, also get these kids on campus now for um, for for camp sessions. And it kind of gives OU a way of being able to do the uncommittable offer thing in a roundabout way while still keeping everybody still still keeping everybody happy. What do you think of that theory, uh, Matt and Caleb? Well, it. It it just it seems like before, uh, with with Riley especially, um, you know, it, there was almost a sense of thinking that these in-state kids could kind of simmer, um, you know, make it to the senior year. Oh, you can really evaluate them late, and it's almost a sense of thinking that oh, you could swoop in at the last minute and kind of take who they want. Uh, but we've seen with with guys like Josh Jacobs, I know OU offered before Alabama, but OU waited until the very last minute um, to, to extend that offer. Uh, you've got Cole Adams, who uh, another guy who is uh, an Alabama commit, um, you know, OU kind of slow played. Yes, I need at this point. Yeah, point. Uh, OU kind of slow played that. You can go in the way back machine, a guy like Wes Welker or even trace Ford, who, who finally has made his way to Norman. But um, those are guys who, who the talent was there. Oh, you knew about them. Maybe they played it a little too safe or uh, from a perspective that, Oh, we can get this guy if we need him later. Caleb, do you think, uh, you know, do you kind of agree with that? Or do you think this is just a complete different perspective that Brent Venables is, is using his policy to to accomplish? No, I mean, I think it's a mixture, right? I mean, let me first go on a tangent and be like, I, I want to say that I always thought it was the dumbest shit I've ever seen that Oklahoma offered Abdul Adams and put him like high up on the list and ignored Josh Jacobs. And it was just like a failure from Lincoln watching uh, Abdul Adams as a sophomore in, in North Carolina and not watching Josh Jacobs because uh, the, the film. Anyway, back on point. Uh, to me, <laughs> it feels like uh, I'll kind of give credit to Chris. It feels a bit like uh, Brent, and I don't want to say is is just found a loophole or found a really good uh, you know path forward, but in a lot of ways, he's found a way to eliminate the risk, uh, both on the front end and on the back end. Right, so he's eliminated the risk on the front end of getting uh, kids 
that are going to commit to you that you are, let's say, a little bit, you're not 100% positive of, but you know you need to offer because everybody else is, right? But to your point, Matt, is one of the things we talked about, like Tennessee, uh, give Josh at like Scoop all the credit, ton of credit on this one. Uh, he used to talk about that when people would get pissed that like you'd see Tennessee come in. Uh, or, you know, some of these mid-level SEC schools to start throwing offers around Tulsa or Oklahoma City and people start getting mad. Like, why isn't Oklahoma offering this kid? You know, these are, you know, take Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas comes to mind because Tennessee offered him before Oklahoma, you know, as, in his junior year going to his senior year. And, you know, as Josh was pointing out, like Oklahoma's got to be willing to take that offer right now. Well, that was because that was how they did it under Lincoln Riley and under Bob. Like, we offer you, that means we're going to take you. Brent, you know, to, to Chris's point, it's it's like, hey, I'm going to try to mitigate risk on the back end of you decommitting late by taking visits and flipping by making sure you're all in before I ever take it. Well, I've also eliminated the risk on the front end of, you know, of being out recruited, you know, or allowing these guys to get my flank by coming into my state and offering kids that maybe we're not 100% sure on and changing the narrative. So he gets to get out in front of that, make those offers. Yeah, a kid is 2025 is probably not going to jump on it, you know, not take an offer, or I'm sorry, not, you know, not take a visit for two and a half years. Uh, because it's also, you know, there's this added benefit, truthfully, for the kids, even if Oklahoma's wishy-washy on the kid, they make an offer to an in-state sophomore, then Tennessee sees it, and then Arkansas sees it, and all these other schools see it, and they shoot offers in that are even watching the film. They say, oh, I know Brent Venables and you know, make an ID talent. Oklahoma offered, we're going to offer. So they shoot an offer over. You know, kids stuff shoots through the roof, but Oklahoma can come back and say, hey, we saw you first. We ID'd you first. We believe on the, in the in-state kids. You're our guy. It's, uh, I mean, it's, maybe it's just another really good example of the level of attention to detail that Brent Venables takes to kind of to every single level of this. Like we were talking last week about the preferred walk-on program. Like there's just a level of detail, attention to detail that the previous staff, and you can't even, the idea never even crossed their mind. It, it's pretty wild, you know, uh, in my mind, uh, kind of the, the 4D chess he's playing comparative to the checkers the previous group played when it came to roster management. It's, it's I mean, almost, maybe it's unintentional. Maybe it's unintentional. Like Brent's policy is this, and then, you know, that's why he's done it. And it and, and what I'm suggesting is sort of like a unintentional side effect of it, right? It could be. I don't know. Because I keep going back to, I, I can't think of anything that he's done thus far that hasn't been intentional. You know, if anything, and he's a recruiting guru. You know, he always kind of always has been like a recruiting guru. So I think you'd look at it. And he, I think probably, honestly, Chris, I think you just nailed it. I think he probably, as he sat down and looked at it, realized, wait a second. Because of my policy, like, yeah, these kids are not going to commit that early. I, I think what does surprise me is, you know, he did talk, he has talked a lot about, uh, you know, hey, we're not going to just throw a ton of offers around to kids. You know, we want to see they have something, you know, uh, some some skin in the game. So, but then again, for all we know, Oklahoma invited most of these kids down for unofficials and they, you know, Carl Albert to Midwest City to, to Norman's a pretty short drive. So they, they may have been in Norman multiple times in the fall for, you know, for a game. So. Well, regardless how it happened, I'm, I'm just happy OU isn't sort of, isn't boxed into this old 
policy and philosophy, right? Like, you know, oh, you have, you know, to your point, like Tennessee comes in and makes 10 offers and, and then, and, you know, and if the kids try to commit, you know, Tennessee says, well, we're not really ready for you to commit. Yeah. And it's like no story, right? It's no story if the, if the Bixby kid can't commit to Tennessee, Tennessee because of his offer, that's not a story, right? But OU no, yes. does, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a statewide scandal. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's one of those things, right? It, you know, uh, trying to think who the Tennessee coach was before, for Heupel, Butch Jones or whoever. Uh, Pruitt. Well, Butch Pruitt. Jones and Pruitt. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, yeah, Jeremy Pruitt, he, he makes an offer to a kid at, in name, name of Tulsa School. It's a big speech, to your point, right? How often is he going to walk in Bixby's high school to recruit a kid? You know, it's just he doesn't have to deal with any repercussions of being a complete scumbag, you know. Uh, I say that and I got fired, but uh, you know, I, you know, or even just I mean. walking, or even being disingenuous and walking away from the kid, you know, late just doesn't have the same impact that that oh, you know, OU was. I felt oh, you just got kind of box, got boxed in by this pop this policy, and now Brent's like, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna really focus on in state, but we're not gonna treat in state kids like anybody else. If they want a verbal, they gotta be ready to take no visits. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah it's, 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 it's almost like a marketing play, you know, he's intentionally getting out in front of, you know, Chris, you mentioned the, the, the in-state, uh, you know, news agencies, you know, the newspapers on Twitter or whatever, you know, would, would, would go after him. Well, you're kind of getting those names out. You're, you're creating a buzz. You know, here we are talking about seven in-state offers 20 months away from signing day. Uh, we're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. So right. Yeah, so the other OU sites are all over the story as well. We didn't. We didn't just come up with this by ourselves. I mean, this not. This isn't our unique idea that OU offered seven kids in state. So oh, for sure. But you know, you know, maybe Brent's using that for for mm-hmm. a reason. So we're all sitting around talking about it. Um yeah. Twenty months ahead, because now the narrative is is in his hands. And, you know, in marketing, that's what you what you have to do. You have to get the narrative in your hands. So it's interesting that kind of those ideals are kind of making their way into the college recruiting game, which fits with, you know, you got NIL, you've got kids establishing their own brands. Um, I think this is this is a pretty good calculated move. I, I, I don't think it's unintentional. And I think, um, you know, if assuming these kids pan out, uh, I think it's it's a genius move. Yeah, and I think that gives OU a little a little bit of flexibility, right? They've got they bought themselves twelve months to evaluate these kids. That's what I kind. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I mean, to you know, I think I'll end it on this. Like, what I the reason I think it's so good is it feels like it's all upside for really everybody involved. And it helps eliminate risk, you know, because there's also all that added upside of, you know, again, we're just talking about Jeremy Pruitt being in, you know, or, or Nick Saban, right, being in Owasso's school to recruit, you know, uh, Cole Adams. Well, you know, Brent making those offers to all these kids that early, he is getting other college, he's getting all these kids in Oklahoma so much more exposure than they have gotten over the last, I mean, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, 10, 10 years, 10 or 15 years. Right. It's just, it's been, yeah. it's not, you know, and, and like, that's like, that's not nothing, you know, 
Uh, and that's big for these high school football coaches. It's big for the high school programs around the state of Oklahoma. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a win-win, I think, across, you know, multiple levels. All right. Well, speaking of Oklahoma guys, um, OU has a homegrown player, uh, has made his way all the way to the Super Bowl, Creed Humphrey, uh, just just kind of from right up the road uh, in, in Shawnee. Um, you know, big game coming up this weekend. Uh, Current spread is Eagles favored by one and a half over unders looking around 51. Um, I won't make you guys put money on the line. I know we talked about Vegas a lot in this episode, but um, you know, what what are you guys thoughts on this matchup? All right. Well, it's not really a recruiting topic. So I'll go first since it's not really my bailiwick, you know, uh, pro football is not really my bailiwick, but um I think I will go with um I'm I'm going with I'm going with Creed Humphrey, Blake the the Belldozer, and Mahomes. So Eagles, okay. Eagles, uh Eagles 30 and uh, Chiefs uh Chiefs 27. Interesting. I first have to say Matt, tiny bit surprised. Because James Winchester is also a local boy from just, I mean, from a, a par five away in Washington uh, and played uh, played at Oklahoma. I think it's like his eighth year with the Chiefs. So Is, is mean, he still there? Yeah, he's still their deep snapper, which, I mean. Oh, he uh, is still there. Okay, for some reason I thought he had moved on. So apologies uh, to James. I think of like a, you know, he and Tress Way have the best jobs in sports, right? Maybe eight, Tress eight years. Better. Eight years. Eight years he's been with him. That's 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 almost as good as uh, the the clipboard job Chase McDaniel has. Well, what about a former Cowboy uh, PJ Latasur? I think he was the long snapper for was it eighteen or nineteen seasons. Really? So maybe, maybe James can uh, get that steady paycheck and uh, be set up for life. I mean, you know, there are greater tragedies. There are greater tragedies. Uh, yeah, no. If, if you're gonna take, if you're gonna take the Chiefs, I got. I'll be completely honest with you. I'm married to a Texas Tech Red Raider, and I freaking hate <laughs> the Chiefs. I hate everything about. I'll be honest with you. I'm going on a little tangent here. The way the game is called today in the NFL, I, I, am, I, am I the only person that watches this and thinks, "Holy shit!" If you didn't touch Marino, like if you couldn't touch him. It was a foul. It was a penalty to touch Dan Marino. And you could not touch his wide receivers because of the tie law rule, which they put in place so Peyton Manning could win a Super Bowl. Again, that whole Manning effect, right? If you couldn't touch Manning and you couldn't touch his receivers, I'm sorry, Marino, he would have thrown for 65 touchdowns and over 6,000 yards a season. Like he, he would have, he did absolutely lit this league on fire. So it bothers me a little bit the way the game's played. So I've got to go with like just the mean, dirty, shitty town. Uh, I hate to say that it's not, but I mean they did hit Santa Claus with a snowball. I mean they're pretty mean. Uh, and I'll take the Eagles. <laughs> well, they also cheered. They also cheered for Michael Irvin. You know, nearly almost paralyzed, paralyzed, paralyzed on I mean, the field. So I mean, um, like it's like the rule of thumb, right? If you're watching a fight and the one guy is from Philly, you always bet on the guy from Philly. You know, the boxing. Does uh, the you know 
when they built the new Philly stadium, they had to make sure to include the jail from the old one, right? Yeah. I mean, Marvin Hagler famously used to, uh, like his, his trainer told him, don't go down to Philly and fight. He was like, no, nah, I want to fight the toughest guys, you know, wanted to prove he was the baddest dude. So he used to go and came up in the amateur circuit. So they fight mostly in, in Philly. So rough place. I'll take the Eagles. Well, I'm a lifelong cowboy fan. Um, so this is going <laughs> to be tough for me to go ahead and predict the Eagles in this one. Uh, I think it'll be a close game, possibly a high scoring game. You never know, though. You you get this this far into the season, and uh, you know, in the NFL especially, defenses seem to kind of step up as they get further on into the playoffs. Um, I know the the last Chiefs Super Bowl was pretty low scoring, so maybe that Eagles front seven, um, and really they they've got five or six linemen that have. I think eight or more sacks uh, led by Hassan Reddick uh, from the yeah, outside. I didn't realize he was having the year that he's having and it showed his sack numbers and it was pretty impressive. And that's actually yeah. something to to watch because Mahomes has what the, the bum ankle. And if, he's uh, got a bum ankle. He had an extra week to kind of do some extra rehab. And, uh, but also, you know, shout out to Orlando Brown. Um, you know, he's protecting his blind side, but uh hasn't had quite the the uh contract season that maybe he wanted to um so maybe he he steps up we know creed's going to do great inside uh you know you got two of the the best centers uh in a long time playing in this game uh with creed and kelsey um so i i just think that the the eagles front seven is going to be a little bit too much for the chiefs to handle um, so I'm probably going to go Eagles, you know, 24 to 22. There's going to be some random, you know, go for two or something early in the game, and it's going to screw the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I don't see any way that Mahomes in the, doesn't win. Just, again, I kind of like the way the game is called now, you know, like protect the quarterback. Let's try to get, you know, as wide open and spread it out. But at the same time, I really didn't. I really thought the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl that uh, the Patriots would beat them and they beat their doors off. Uh, or was it a really close game? I don't remember. It was up and down the field, but I remember being shocked that they won. So, well, that's because it was Nick Foles. I think that that was probably the oh, most wow, shocked <laughs> aspect of that one. Yeah. The one thing I do think is a little weird is, the Eagles sort of did, you know, I think that the Chiefs are more battle tested. That's a, that's maybe a silly term with their game against the, with their game against the Bungles, which the refs, that, that, that wipe off play thing is, is just, is hideous in terms of ref competency. But the Eagles, I mean, Zach, I don't want to, don't want to, you know, tear out, tear out an ugly wound here, Matt, but you know, um, the, the Cowboys QB gave away that game to the, you know, gave away the game. Um, so you didn't have a rematch. We didn't have a rematch. You know, the, the Eagles really, you know, like hurting Purdy and then hurting Josh Johnson. I mean, we didn't get a real, we didn't get a real NFC championship game. Did we? No. And, and early on, wow. you know, the, the Niners looked pretty good. It was, was it seven, seven when all that <laughs> went down or. Seven three, maybe it was definitely a tied or one score game. And the Niners were kind of moving the ball and they were kind of keeping the Eagles in check. I think the Eagles scored the first drive quickly. And then after that, it was kind of 
slow moving until those quarterbacks are out and then, you know, momentum and all that stuff. Next thing you know, it's what, 31-7 or something like that. So, you know, and the Eagles flattened the Giants. You know, the Cowboys probably had the best offensive personnel to maybe and had beaten the Eagles, given the Eagles their best games. And then, you know, and then uh, the Cowboys quarterback gives away that game against the Niners. So the Niners kind of limp into the championship game. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that the chiefs are just better are more battle tested. So, you know, there's a, there's a funny stat that I just remembered about teams that had just played 49ers. Yep. The, the, the week every before game following, I think it's, you know, the last 15 mm. straight games or 15 straight yeah. weeks that that has happened. Yeah, because uh, they the get Niners, that bye week, so that just got to help. The bye definitely helps, but the Niners, I mean, they beat you up, even even though maybe, uh, well, I guess uh, our buddy Trent Williams was was beating Bye-bye, people folks. up late in that game. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, a little bit of that's at play. I don't know. The, the more we talk about it, I just think it, it it might be more of a defensive battle than than is maybe expected because – you know, we've talked about a little bit about the Eagles front seven, but, um, you know, Chris Jones is is probably the best defensive player on the field in this one. So here's one for you. If if I told you that just question, right, if I told you that in the pregame, but when they I don't know, if, I don't know if, what, what channel it's on, even if they're going to do, you know, the players come out. But if in the pregame, when the players say what college they're from, if. uh if Jalen Hurts, instead of saying it was at Channel View High School, I think he says, if they panned to him and he said, Jalen Hurts, Oklahoma, would you root for the Eagles to win it? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know if he was like, you know, going out of his way to be, hey, I'm assuming yeah. uh, if well, it would be, Barry, that would be enough. Barry and no. David have already killed the topic on their pod about whether um, whether Jalen's a Sooner or not. So I don't think we can. And I don't think we're able to, to to cross over on that topic. I think they've got the patent on that. So. Yeah, and and I I obviously love OU, but man, I hate the Eagles. So I, <laughs> it's uh, that's the time. Like when Demarco went there, I was just distraught. I mean, that was just the worst possible place he could have gone. I will uh, say those were like the fun NFL years when the Eagles, because they were still really good on defense, and the Cowboys were great under jimmy johnson watching those guys watching those teams you know uh god remember the buddy ryan jerome brown teams and all that yeah and even who was it like after uh you know buddy but i remember with the defensive coordinator that the eagles had that just would blitz his ass off uh jimmy johnson it was was um, no that's not right yeah oh are you talking about schwartz no before no, Shorts is he was yeah. This is this is like nineties. I think is it Jim Johnson? Yeah, that's what I thought. That his name was Jim Johnson, but I might not have that right. Yeah, no, I think it is. Let's let's pull this and take a look. Eagles. Let's see what it's the Eagles. And that was uh, Andy Reid. Kind of got started oh, right back then. Ninety nine, two thousand eight. Yeah, I'm, I was way off. No, it was. It would have been like more buddy. Right. I, I am thinking like those those mid nineties. Eagles weren't that great, uh, but you know their defense was really good. And if you guys play Tech Mobile Super Bowl, you know Randall Cunningham was a stud. 
All right. Well, I guess we've got our official, unofficial Super Bowl predictions in. Uh, guys, another another great episode as usual. And we are we are not a betting channel, guys. We are not, not a betting not, channel. Do not no send complaints, advice. anything like that, to us at all. <laughs> no betting advice here. Um, we've we've talked a lot about uh, a bunch of new names. Uh, again, we'll direct you to the board. Um, we're talking about all these guys. Uh, doing a little breakdown on some of their film. Uh, so head on over to Sooners360.com. Uh, Want to make a quick shout out to our new writer and editor, Blake Mullen. Uh, we're excited to get him started. Can't wait to work with him going forward. Um, I think his his first article will be hitting tomorrow on the Super Bowl. Uh, some Sooners are obviously in it. Um, so and a, as another reminder, uh, make sure you you don't miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your favorite platform of choice. And we'll see everyone around the water cooler on Sooners 360.